Hello, everybody. My name is Daniel Prince, and I am the host of the Once Bitten podcast. This is a podcast focused on Bitcoin. It's my mission to interview as many people as I can around the different aspects of Bitcoin and help people understand exactly what Bitcoin could mean for them and for their families and for their future. I hope you enjoy the show. Thank you so much for listening. Hey guys, welcome to this edition of the Once Bitten podcast. Joining me today is Chris Gimmer, one of the uh, guys behind Bitbo.io, which I really enjoy using and watching to track the Bitcoin price. Uh, the one feature I love is the 24-hour range. Uh, so I can get up in the morning and see where it's been overnight uh, instantly. So that's... Um, I know we say we don't ever look at price, but during the bull run, it's impossible not to. So fall into bitbo.io and go have a look if you've not checked them out already. Really enjoyed this one with Chris. We get into uh, lots of different topics, i.e. taking his business onto a Bitcoin standard and the difference that's made and like his, his the, the way that the business is set up now for the future, which... Um, I hope many more businesses will follow these footsteps as many others already have started doing. Uh, before we get into this one, make sure if you're in the UK, you check out coinfloor.co.uk. That is the best place to go start stacking your sats. Use uh, forward slash bitten and uh, yeah, go check them out because this, this is a Bitcoin only exchange and they're there to look after you and guide you through your first purchase or help you uh, with big purchases, weekly buys. They've got it all and they're they're a great team. Go check out at Obi. I have uh, an episode with him in the past. Also, swanbitcoin.com forward slash bitten will get you a free 10 bucks. If you are in the US, the swan flies across all 50 states. They can help you. Their speciality is DCA, dollar cost average. But they are also going to be releasing, or have already released, smash buys. So you can go in and get some Bitcoin straight away from them if, if that's uh, your plan, uh, entirely up to you. And they've got a lot of cool new features coming out in 2021. So I hope you guys are enjoying the price action. I certainly am. Go check out once-bitson.com. That was built by at Jim Reaper. Music, really appreciate that, mate. And as always, at Adam Woodham's one for putting the show together. Let's get to this interview with Chris. Thanks for listening, guys. What a new year. Take it easy. Catch you after the show. Hey guys, joining us today is Chris Gimmer. Hey Chris, nice to meet you. Thanks for taking the time. Thanks for having me. And of course, Lauren is here uh, to ask Hi. Chris, to grill hey, Chris with the first question. Um, so what does your company do? Because I heard that you got a company. Yeah, so our company, Snappa, uh, basically it's an online graphic design tool. And it's actually geared towards uh, non-designers. So if you were uh, a small business owner, or let's say we'll use your dad as an example, uh, if he wanted to create a graphic uh, and post that on Twitter uh, to show his audience about a new upcoming interview, 
instead of hiring a professional graphic designer and pay them a bunch of money to design that graphic for them, uh, he could use our software and choose one of our templates and create the graphic himself very easily. And so that's what our, our, uh, our company does. This sounds good. Can I make memes on here? Of course, yeah. Are people using it to meme yet? I, I, I hear all the memers are using like uh, InShot or Canva or something else. I, I'm, I know a few of them and I've asked them what they use. No one said <laughs> Snapper yet. So we, we can change this right now, Chris. Here's so, the pitch to all the memers. <laughs> so we, we, uh, because we are a, uh, a bootstrap company, we, we've never raised a venture capital. Um, so essentially what we've done is focused um, a little more on the, the B2B use cases. Um, so our free plan is more limited than some of the, the, the other tools in the space. Um, and we try to uh, be a really good tool for those who have uh, more of a business use case and an ongoing um, need for that tool where they, they actually find the value to pay us you know, $10, $15 a month to use the tool. Uh, so I would say um, if, if you're... If you want to crank out hundreds of memes a day for free, then we're, we're probably not the best tool. Um, but if you actually have a, a business use case and you need to create uh, lots of graphics and, uh, you know, we, we help you save a lot of time and we make your stuff look really good, um, then that's uh, where a lot of people find our software valuable. Cool. Lauren, did you have any further questions? No. Oh, yes, you did. You wanted to ask because you see me, you see me looking at this all the time. I do. This. What? Oh, yeah, but I thought you said that then I won't have any questions and then the podcast is going to be over. Yeah, I'll find a few other questions. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I heard that you designed the kind of like Bitcoin logo. Not Bitcoin logo, but like when you um, check it, like there's like wavy lines and the numbers go up. <laughs> the numbers should go up, <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's it. When, it, when it's working properly, the number goes up. Yeah, okay. You're talking about Bitbo? Yes. Yes, okay. So um, why did you decide that it should be looking like that? Like it should be like that? Uh, so I got, uh, so Mark is my my uh, business partner on Snappa, and, and he also was the one who, um, the, the programmer and the designer behind uh, Bitbo. Um, and so in terms of the design, um, you know, we, we kind of wanted to stick with, with the Bitcoin ethos, which is why we, we chose that, uh, the, the color palette of, of the orange uh, and the black. Um, and essentially, we, wanted, we were kind of scratching our own itch where we wanted um, uh, a website that we can kind of log into every day or just keep, keep open throughout the day and see what is going on uh, with the Bitcoin network, what, what's, what's happening with the price. Um, and then we have plans to kind of go beyond uh, what it is now was just a dashboard. But it's, it's really something that as Bitcoiners and as people that are really, uh, you know, wants to keep a, an eye on what's going on and, and where the, the price is at, what the fees are at and what the exchange products are doing um, to basically have all of that on one screen that we can look at anytime we want. And it's very cool. I use it a lot. Yes, it is. Okay, do you want to say goodbye? Yeah, I really need to go. My French teacher's here. My brother won't get off his device. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right, great talking Bye. to you. All. Bye. Talk, great talking to you. I hope you have a great podcast. Bye. <laughs> Thank you.
Yeah, it's, it is it is a very... I'll stay with Bitbo right now, mate, and then we'll get uh, into Snapper. Uh, and then uh, your blog post and, and all the other questions I have ready for you. <laughs> How long does it take to put a dashboard like that together? Because it's pretty... It looks pretty intense. And for somebody that is not used to designing websites or, or anything like this, like pulling all this data in, it's... It's pretty crazy. There's got to be a fair amount of work that goes into it. Or are you going to shoot me down and say, no, it's easy, Dan. You can knock your own one up. No problem. No, I mean, there, there's definitely work that goes into it, right? So um, obviously, we're, you know, we're running uh, a couple nodes uh, to, get, uh, to get all the data together. We're making sure all that stuff back, uh, is, is backed up because you know, if, there's a, if there's an issue there, then all of a sudden you have all the gaps in your data. Uh, a lot of it we're storing in, you know, on Firebase. Uh, then you have to kind of pull that data and, and present it in a, in a clean uh, and, and, and user-friendly way. So there, yeah, it, it's, it's definitely not trivial and there's, there's, uh, there's some stuff that goes into it. But um, yeah, Mark, Mark did uh, a phenomenal job with uh, the UI and the UX because, um, you know, I, one thing we've noticed in the Bitcoin space is sometimes there's uh, a lot of effort on the kind of the back end and the engineering stuff, but maybe not as much uh, effort going into the the design and, and the user experience uh, side of things. And so, uh, you know, he, he definitely spent a lot of time making sure that uh, it looks great, is very functional um, and, and easy to look at. So, yeah. Yeah, it is. It's brilliant. I love the way it's set out. Um, I, you know, I was, I've had Clark on the show, Clark Moody, I uh, love his dashboard as well. Um, they both, so, <laughs> to to think that we have both of these projects going at the same time and completely free for any one of us to to log into and look at at any stage is pretty amazing. It's and, and I see as well you have the uh, the little um, the box where you can just hit to uh, support the Bitcoin developers, um, and that just takes you straight to uh, BitcoinDevList.com. Yeah, so I mean, the idea was we're, we're not like a hundred percent sure what this will will turn into, um, and so our thought process was, you know, we're not going to like try to go out of our way to collect, you know, a couple hundred dollars or a thousand dollars in ad revenue, uh, just because you know we're we're fortunate that we can kind of fund this internally through uh, profits with our other business. So we thought it was a, a you know better for us to just uh, you know shed some light on some of the um, projects like, uh, you know, the Bitcoin dev list and, uh, and um, you know, essentially use that uh, slot or to, to bring, to drive awareness uh, to some of the, the other projects that, that could use uh, attention as well, as opposed to try to, you know, eke out $500 in, in ad revenue. Uh, so that was kind of uh, the thought process. And do you think it could go somewhere? Uh, do you guys have any kind of plans of, of where it might go? So one thing that we want to do is um, the, the right, Bitbo right now is essentially just the one-page dashboard. Um, but one thing that uh, we realized was if you want to look at, uh, so let, let's take the hash rate, for example, right? Um, just looking at the hash rate as a number doesn't really tell you a lot. Um, what's really important is how is the hash rate going up over time, Right. So obviously, we plan to add historical charts uh, in addition to just the one-page dashboard. So you'll actually be able to click on, you know, hash rate that will give you to an, an individual pages. Um, and so when you start looking at, you know, the search volumes and and traffic potential, 
uh, if we start taking, you know, this dashboard and turning or adding individual pages for, for each of these stats, uh, the traffic numbers start to get uh, a little more, um, you know, a little more juicy, I guess. And so then it just becomes a matter of like, you know, can we turn this just purely into like an ad supported uh, business model? Um, or is it something where, you know, this is basically just uh, a free resource that we can get traffic to, and maybe we use that to promote a separate product. Um, interestingly enough, when we launched Snappa, we had created a, a free stock photo site um, that was really popular and got a lot of traffic, and we essentially used that website to promote Snappa. Um, so for now, I mean, we're, we're just happy to put it out there and, and you know, create some value in the Bitcoin space and, uh, you know, give back, so to speak. But um, and whether it leads to something beyond that, uh, we'll see. Uh, but we, we like to play the long game and think long term. So, um, you know, the number one goal is is to provide value. Uh, and then, you know, hopefully if, if it does turn into a business, great. Uh, if not, then we'll, you know, we'll figure something else out. <laughs> Yeah, cool, mate. So, Snapper. When did you guys launch Snapper, and uh, what was the what was the kind of it, you know entrepreneurs they they release something that they need, right? That that's what they do. They they scratch their own itch. So th- there must have been a story leading up to you guys having that aha moment. It's like, right, we need to build this thing because if people like us need it, there's bound to be thousands of others. Yeah, so we were actually working on another website at the time, and we we're still working our day jobs. So um, it wasn't we weren't making enough money to uh, you know live full time off that. Uh, it was more of like a side project. And the way that we were growing that uh, that website was mainly through content marketing and SEO. And so um, you know I was writing a lot of uh, blog content, and for each of the blog posts, I needed to create images. And at the time, I was doing it in Photoshop. Uh, and was a huge pain in the ass. And uh, some of the other tools at the time, I found they were either overly complicated, where it was essentially like a web version of Photoshop, or it was too simplistic, where it was just a more or less like a quote generator. And then some of them, you still have to pay like $1 per photo to to use some of the stuff. Um, And so the idea at the time was like, you know, marketers um, are, are... kind of creating a lot more content than five years ago. And so it the whole model of like paying a graphic designer to uh, create an image that you're going to post on social media, which is going to disappear in the feed within like five to 10 minutes, um, kind of didn't make sense anymore. And so that was kind of the, the, the inclining of, you know, maybe there's a tool there and we kind of wanted to, to get into the, the, the software space. Um, and then the, the long story short was that uh, one of the blog posts I had written was a post about where to get free stock photos that ended up going viral because uh, there was a lot of really good resources coming out um, and they were releasing photos under Creative Commons. And then that led us to kind of compile some of the best uh, photos from some of these websites and and create uh, our own stock photo site um, because a lot of those fo- photo sites didn't have like, you know, search functionality or tagging. Um, and then... Once we had that website with a bunch of traffic, that's when we we're like, you know, this would be a good idea. Maybe this is a good time to release this this software tool. And so we um, we did a bunch of surveys. We we pulled some of the the audiences that we had, um, and it turned out that a lot of people had the same pain points that I did around being a 
a marketer or a business owner and needing to create graphics. And either uh, it was a pain to use Photoshop or it was cumbersome to rely on graphic designers. And so that gave us the confidence to, to go ahead uh, and start working on this tool. Do you find people, if you talk about marketing and that, that profession, do you find people uh, a, a skeptical or shut down? Um, there's a big stigma around uh, the whole term marketing which um, I don't know if you're a, a big Seth Godin fan, but uh, his, uh, his, his latest book, This Is Marketing, kind of changes, turns everything on its, on its head. How do you guys think about that? Well, that's why I really like the concept of uh, content marketing or inbound marketing, so to speak. So um, I could never be a salesman. I could never uh, <laughs> launch a company that relies on like cold emailing people and you know, hopping on the phone with people and, and try to convince them, you know, for 30 minutes. Uh, that's just not my personality type. Um, so pretty much all of the um, the marketing that we've done for Snappa, number one was, like I said, in the early days, providing that free stock photo website, which provided a ton of value for people. And then we simply had a, you know, a thing on the, the sidebar that uh, basically led them to, to Snappa. And then on top of that, we write a lot of really helpful content. So for example, uh, with Snappa, you can create like a Facebook cover photo. And so we have a post on our site that goes through uh, the proper dimensions for a Facebook cover photo, some of the best practices. Um, so if someone's Googling, you know, what are the dimensions for a Facebook cover photo, um, our blog posts would show up in, in the, uh, the search rankings. And so even if you have no intention of using our tool, um, the content that we're providing is actually useful and helpful to that person. And then obviously in that content, you know, we say, if you want to create a cover photo, you can use our tool to do so. Um, and then they can sign up and try it out. So when it comes to marketing, I think there's uh, tasteful ways to market a product and some not so tasteful ways to market a product. Um, so our, you know, we, ju we just try to do it in a, in a way that is, you know, providing value um, as opposed to being, you know, sleazy about it. So that, that's kind of my thought process on, or my, my thoughts around uh, the, the whole concept of marketing, essentially. Yeah, create the value and the trust, right? And, yeah. then, and then you can start talking about these are the other services that we can layer on top, which, uh, yeah, yeah, very because, interesting. Like, I, I, I don't understand um, people that automatically just hate any sort of marketing because, like, if the if the product is good and valuable, like don't you want to hear about those those products, right? So, um, it, it, like if you take it to the extreme, if there was all these great products but no one was willing to do any marketing or talk about them, well, how would you 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 hear about them, right? Uh, because word of mouth uh, kind of only goes so far. Um, so you know, I think like tasteful marketing, ha uh, like I don't I I don't see anything wrong with that. Yeah, and it's it's strange that um, you talk about sales. Uh, I I consult for well, haven't done for a little while because of you know what's been going on in the in the landscape. But I was consulting for for startups and primarily in the sales desks on the mm -hmm. sales teams. And every single person that I spoke to had the exact same the exact same line. It's like I don't want to be a salesman. It's sleazy. <laughs> it's scummy. I don't want to be making cold calls. I don't want to be making cold emails. It just doesn't, you know, it doesn't sit well. 
And the, the way I would try and take away that fear is was along the lines of, well, everybody in the office is in sales. No, 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 they're not. Yeah. Like, yes, yes, they are. The, you know, what do you think marketing is? Marketing is sales. What do you think mm-hmm. customer experience is? They call it the CX team now. Customer experience. Yeah. That's sales. That's frontline sales. No, no, no. That's the customer experience team. I'm like, <laughs> okay, but they are a point of contact. They're customer facing. This is a sales job. What do you think the CEO is doing? He's in sales. He's trying, or yeah. she, is trying to raise money. They're in sales at the sharpest end if they're facing a uh, venture capitalist. They've got to pitch them to win the money. Everybody here is in sales. It's just that you guys, unfortunately, have been labeled with this, this sales desk or sales team kind of moniker. And that's where everybody looks to. Is like, why aren't you guys bringing in more cash? Uh, so it's definitely something that's been ingrained in us to, to fear this term sales. Yeah. Yeah, and I find like even sales nowadays, is, it's kind of being flipped a little bit where... Um, you know, a lot of uh, even like enterprise SaaS. If you would, if you would land on some of these websites and you'd go to the pricing page, it would say "call us for a quote," right? And I'm one of those people that just like I just hate that, right? Like, just tell me what the <laughs> damn price is, or at least give me some sense. And now, what you find is you go to a lot of these websites, and there's a free plan, there's a uh, like a, a let's call it a small business plan, and then maybe the enterprise plan has the you know "call us for a demo." And so I like that because I can sign up, get a feel for the product. And then, you know, typically they'll have salespeople that will, you know, send out an email saying like, hey, notice you signed up, you know, let me know if you need anything, help you out. I think and I think that's um, kind of what the new form of sales is, is heading towards. And I think people like that a lot better, right? It's just let me try it out. And because at the end of the day, like, Sometimes you're you're going to have questions. Um, there are certain products where I've actually wanted to reach out to a salesperson, um, and so they can definitely be helpful. It's just a matter of how you're how you're positioning that. Exactly, and unfortunately, most people they just want the numbers, and it's just sell, 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 sell for that sign up right now, mm-hmm. rather than yeah. listening to the actual pain points and giving out the uh, the information. And yeah, the last thing I'll, I'll make on this point is that even like, um, you know, the tech guys, like, oh, I, I want to go into tech, I want to design websites. It's like, well, that's sales. You've got what, like half a second to capture somebody's um, imagination on a landing page? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's sales. <laughs> there, there's very few products in the world where someone has just, you know, press published and it just took off with without any sort of marketing or sales, right? Like it just <laughs> right. just doesn't happen, right? Um, even some of the most uh, successful companies like, you know, Facebook and Airbnb, if you dig into the early days of these companies, I mean, they were freaking hustling, right? Um, it's only once you reach that like critical mass where the virality just takes over and then it's, it's less about, you know, one-on-one sales and marketing and more about just, you know, scaling the business, so to speak. So how long are you, have you guys been going at Snapper? Um, we, we officially launched uh, November of 2015. So uh, we're going on you know, five years now at this point. That's awesome, man. And it was it this year that you wrote the blog post about moving your, um, your, your, your company onto a Bitcoin standard in March, I believe. Yeah, so we we started um, we started buying Bitcoin under the business in in March and, and moving our treasury over, um, and then I wrote the post in August. Um, right. 
So that yeah, that was kind of the timeline. Right. <laughs> you, you you were already down the rabbit hole individually, or what's what's kind of like the the meandering path to you guys making a decision? Right, we've got to take the company onto a Bitcoin standard. So um, Mark and I both heard about Bitcoin in 2017. Um, bought a little bit at the time, but like uh, pretty small amounts. And uh, I guess fortunately or unfortunately, um, I didn't didn't uh, really go down the rabbit hole at that time and, you know, uh, even started buying Ethereum because, you know, Ethereum is faster and smart contracts and yada, yada. Um, and then uh, the, the bubble kind of uh, burst a little bit. And we, to be honest, like we were really uh, busy and focused on, on building our own, our own business. Um, and so like, I never sold the coins. I just, but I just didn't pay as much uh, attention back then. And then fast forward to, um, kind of early or middle of 2019, and business is going really well. Uh, we've got more disposable income, starting to invest, uh, you know, in, invest these funds, and uh, started listening to more like investing podcasts and, and whatnot. And and uh, started so Preston Pish uh, had a couple. I was listening to his podcast, and uh, one interview I remember specifically was with Trace Mayer. And um, I was listening to that and, and, and it was my immediate thought was like, Preston is a value investor, like a Warren Buffett disciple, and he's kind of shilling Bitcoin. And so it really piqued my interest because um, it, it just didn't seem to align with the, the type of an investor that he was. And after listening to a couple of the, the podcast episodes, um, I was really, really intrigued by it. And I was like, OK, Clearly, I was I was missing something here. There, there's a lot more to the story. Uh, and then uh, I read the Bitcoin Standard. I read uh, Inventing uh, Bitcoin. Uh, started reading, you know, more books, blog posts, and and listening to, you know, Tales from the Crypt and 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 your uh, Stefan Lavera, and then started listening like, to to you and and all the Bitcoin podcasts. And then. Um, yeah, that's when I really started to get, you know, orange pilled on on a personal level. And so kind of end of 2019, you know, I started to uh, invest, you know, more of my my personal money into uh, into Bitcoin. So <laughs> fast forward to um, February and there's this pandemic. Um, it seems like, you know, the interest rates are, are slashed to nothing. Uh, the you know interest rate on our savings account is nothing, um, and all of a sudden, Bitcoin to me prior to that point was like more of this speculative asset um, that you know put five percent of your net worth and you know that's asymmetric kind of thing, and that's that's kind of how I viewed viewed it. Um, and then the the more I learned and the more I went down the rabbit hole, and then seeing what the central banks were doing. And then you kind of get to that point where you realize like the, the central banks are on a path of no return, right? So interest rates are never going up. They're only going to go down. At least this is my opinion. Could be wrong. Um, and then all of a sudden, Mark and I are, are looking at this, this cash on our balance sheet. And we're thinking like, well, we plan to be in business essentially forever. Um, if we don't do something with this cash, it's going to be worth nothing in 10 years or, or significantly lower than it is now. Uh, we also don't want to put it in the stock market at, at all-time highs. Um, 
you know, bonds is essentially nothing. And then some like kind of like it was it was so funny, like hearing the Michael Saylor interviews. We it was almost like we we had this just the, the exact same epiphany where all of a sudden, you know, Bitcoin went from this like what I thought was like a speculative thing that that is more of like a, an investment to something where I honestly thought that it was safer than holding cash. Right. Um, and then starting in in February uh, or sorry, March, it was, it was literally like the week before that 50 percent drop. We started allocating uh, um, like daily, daily cost averaging or, 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 you know, weekly cost averaging into Bitcoin. Um, and it was funny because a- after that 50 percent drop, there was kind of like that initial gut check of like, was was is this <laughs> the right decision? And we're like, well, we're never going to get a better price. So, I mean, let, let's keep going. And so we kind of uh, just kept buying um, over the next uh, several months to the point where over 50% of our cash was was now in Bitcoin. And um, obviously now we have the benefit of hindsight. Uh, and, uh, and and now, like I said, I mean, I, I'm more worried about the cash than, than the Bitcoin on our balance sheet. That, that's kind of how I feel right now. That is nuts that you, you guys would... You were the exact same time as Sailor, having the mm-hmm. exact same thoughts and making the exact same decisions. You guys, though, were, were lucky enough that you didn't have a board of directors or anybody else to, to convince at the time. And you caught that dip. That's amazing. So, like, you know, what are you looking at, like four or five times already? That uh... Well, it, it, so we... we um... We kept buying over the course of like the three months, uh, so we didn't like. Uh, un- unfortunately, uh, it-, it wasn't like the dip came and we're like, "All right, let's put everything into it." <laughs> so, um, I mean, we're but, but like we're double from our, our cost basis, uh, which is yeah. like incredible, right? Like, um, you know, you spent however long to build up that that balance, and then in a matter of, of months, it doubles, and then you start looking out. Well. There's, if you really understand Bitcoin, there's a very realistic chance that even in the next uh, cycle, it, it could be a 10x from here, right? Um, and you look at the alternatives, and it's just like, you know, why why would you hold cash or cash or 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 uh, you know, the savings account at this point? It just doesn't make sense. So you know, our strategy at this point is let's keep enough cash on hand for. You know any sort of short-term obligations, and you know a bit of a emergency fund, just so that you know if Bitcoin does dip, we never have to sell off any of that. And um, anything that we don't need over the next, you know, six months to a year, uh, that that goes into Bitcoin. It's amazing how it changes your kind, of, like <laughs> the anxiety over running a business and having the cash on a balance sheet goes to zero. And that just gives you so much more mind space now, I would imagine. Yeah. Do, and do you feel the, like, you, sorry to, to stay on that point, do you feel as though you're having more creative thoughts now around the business because you've afforded yourself this, this time, you know, without having the worry and the anxiety and the sleepless nights over what's going to happen to this cash? I mean, one thing that... Um... So when when Mark and I first started the business, um, our our goal initially was like we we were just fed up with our, our corporate jobs and we kind of wanted to be our own boss. And so it was like the first goal was let's make enough money so that we can quit, right? 
Um, and then once you hit that goal, it's like, okay, let, let's make enough money so that we can, you know, live fairly comfortably, right? And then the the next goal is like, you know, let, let's get to a point where theoretically we would never have to work again. And just the, you know, the investments and the, and the cash um, is enough so that we can stay, sustain ourselves indefinitely. And once you get to that level, then you can just start thinking so long term, right? Because you don't have to worry about maximizing profits over the next, you know, month or two. Whereas when your back's against the wall and like you really need to <laughs> make that make that certain revenue goal, uh, otherwise you have to go back to getting a job, um, it, it puts you in a different mindset. So um, it is really nice to have that mindset where all of the the, the work um, that we've done up to this far, we're not worried about that getting debased, right? And having to climb this like treadmill, so to speak. So we can just keep a very long-term focus, you know, keep doing what we're doing. And we have that reassurance that, you know, that money is still going to be just as valuable, if not more valuable next year, the year after, the decade after. Um, and it's, it, you know, it, it just goes back to this like low time preference, uh, high time preference, right? When when your cash is, or your purchasing power is, is, is dwindling every month, you're kind of forced into these decisions. Um, whereas when it's, when it's the opposite, uh, you, you can think a lot more long-term. So I think that's the biggest benefit um, that, that we're seeing right now. What was the corporate job? What were you trying to escape? What, what corner had you painted yourselves into? Uh, so I was, um, so my background's actually in, in finance and accounting. Um, and I started, uh, I got a summer job in the federal government when I was uh, in university. Oh, all right, <laughs> so, man. let's go. <laughs> yeah. So like you want to talk about uh, 180 in terms of career. Like I, I yeah. have, you know, one, one day I'm, um, I'm, uh, I mean, so <laughs> funny story. Um, we used to have, uh, you know, these like retirement parties and, Whenever, whenever there was a retirement party in the government, the people were so freaking happy. Like it was like everyone retiring was like the happiest ever. And the people that were like six months away from retirement, they had calendars in their office where they're literally like checking off the days. Right. And I had this epiphany where I was like, like, <laughs> there's something wrong here when people are looking forward to like, it's almost like they, they want to get closer to the end of their life, right? And then they're going to be happy. And um, that just didn't seem right. And then another thing was I, I traveled to Southeast Asia back in 2010 with a buddy of mine. And it was one of the, uh, it was like the best trip that I had. And, um, you know, it just kind of puts things into perspective how, how big the world is. And at the time, like to have to wait um, a full year to get your three, four weeks vacation so that you can take a trip. Like it just, it sucked. And so, um, you know, four or five years into doing finance for, for the government, just feeling like I wasn't really contributing much. I wasn't providing, uh, that much value, wanting more freedom into my life. Um, that's kind of what really led me to want uh, to, to go down a different path. And Mark, my, my business partner, he was doing kind of like project management work at the time. And he's the classic definition of like an unemployable person. Like he had, 
Um, and so he, he, he couldn't wait to get out of there as well. And so fortunately, um, you know, we became good friends. I, I found out that he was a programmer at the time. I had like no tech chops whatsoever. I didn't understand marketing and we're like, let's just start a business. <laughs> and then, um, yeah, we had a couple, um, false starts. Uh, but you know, I started learning a lot about, uh, you know, how to do SEO and, and content marketing and, um, some of this stuff. And, you know, fortunately we, we were able to, to make it work and, um, you know, go down the entrepreneurship path. Did you read the four hour work week by any chance? Because this sounds such a similar story to, to mine and many other people I've, I've met that have read that book. Yeah, I did read that book actually. Um, it was funny because I, I read that book, um, almost like, while I was trying to make this transition. Um, so it, it wasn't like I read the book and then I was like, oh, this is the path. It was more like I was kind of already having these sort of feelings. And then I read the book. I was like, oh, this is this is possible. Other people are doing it. And I started listening to a lot of like entrepreneurship uh, and business podcasts as well. Um, like Tropical MBA was one that um, you know I was listening to, or I still listen to today. Um, and Startups for the Rest of Us uh, which was another influential one where it was more about, you know, you can build a software business without having to, you know, raise tons of, of venture capital funds. And, you know, you can work sane hours and, and you know, still take vacations or whatever. Um, and it, it just, it sounded great to me. Like the fact that you can create value um, and and still retain your, your freedom, um, that was essentially what we were striving towards. That book, man, it it uh, it's unlocked so many people. And if anyone's listening that hasn't read it, I get a lot of DMs and a lot of people asking me about, you know, how do I escape this this hell? And mm. I had Brandon Brandon Quitzum on the show, and we talked about his escape from corporate lifestyle as well, which uh, he had he, he he had personally lots of lots of feedback. So I I, <laughs> I want to go back to the federal government. And finance and accounting. <laughs> because what goes on behind those closed doors? What were you doing then that you can look back on now and just like have the biggest epiphany? Like, oh my God, now I understand how it works. Yeah. So um essentially I was I was essentially like a controller, right? So I was responsible for um the the planning and the budgeting for um our particular a particular directorate. Um, and one of the things that uh, he realized quickly on in the government, and um, hopefully none of my old coworkers or bosses are listening to this right now, but one thing that you realize is that um, governments are not efficient, right? Um, and they're not incentivized to be efficient. Um, the, the, the thing for me that was so crazy was like at the end of the year, if you didn't spend your budget, you would basically... Uh, you know, lose that budget the next year. So it created this like, just this terrible incentive structure where people were just wasting money um, just so that they can spend their budget so that they would so that their budget wouldn't get cut the next year. Um, and that's one thing that I was like, this, this just doesn't make sense. Instead of rewarding people. Um, and like, I, I kind of get it because where they come from, it's like, well, you know, the whole, uh, point of the government is not necessarily to save money, but to like, you know, complete your mandate in this and that. But the problem was like, when you're just buying 
computers and and furniture just for the sake like that no longer falls into the realm of uh you know completing your 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 mandate or whatever um so um yeah so that that was always one thing that like really kind of um that I, that I noticed was like it, it, the government is really in, inefficient and so as a as a, a free markets person you know my opinion is that a government's should have roles only only roles that are very difficult or, or maybe somewhat more difficult for the private sector to fulfill uh, themselves. Um, so a, a good example of this right now in Canada is they're talking about launching this like childcare program. So if I have kids, it's incredibly easy for me to um, put them into daycare, right? I, I don't understand why is that something that a government needs to control because essentially they're going to do it very inefficiently. And then um, on a collective basis, when it comes to taxes, we're going to pay more than that service is actually uh, worth, right? So to me, it doesn't make sense um, that childcare should be a government program because it's something that's so easy. If you need it, you go to the daycare or you raise your kids at home, right? If you don't, then you, then you don't need it. And why should you have to subsidize uh, that for other people? Um, and uh, whereas something like, and, and there was huge con, <laughs> this is going to open up a can of words because of the whole Rao Powell stuff, but you know, something like roads, right? Roads are a little more difficult for the private sector to, to handle themselves. And so there, there's an argument there where, you know, it maybe it makes sense to pay taxes. So, so that roads get built. So, you know, my whole thing when it comes to government is let the government do, um, the, you know, the least amount of stuff as possible that is really difficult for a large collective of, of, of people or the private sector to coordinate. And anything else, let the private sector do it. Because from what I've seen, it's very, very inefficient whenever the government gets their hands on something. Are you the kind of guy that when you see... I know I am. So when you see like uh, some kind of in air quotes, uh, like community project that is, uh, is being done by the local council, I mean, maybe they're improving or, you know, doing, doing some kind of works within your town that you drive past and just start, oh, what are they freaking doing? Now, you know, like this, this whole malinvestment side of things, you, 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 you can now see it from an Austrian perspective having fallen down the Bitcoin rabbit hole, but mm -hmm. you've sat in the seat. You've seen exactly what goes on. It must drive you crazy. Yeah, it's... it's um, <laughs> it, it's <laughs> tough not to get frustrated. And, and um, you know, Bitcoin is... Um, like, like a lot of Bitcoiners say, like it, it kind of gives you hope because in, in a sense, it's like, well, if you're wasting all of this money... Um, and the the Bitcoin price keeps going up. It's almost like offsetting this like inefficiencies. Now, the the problem is anyone who doesn't own Bitcoin is going to get really hurt by this. Um, and so I think it's it's you know almost like um, our, our job, so to speak, to get at least our, our friends and family on board so that they can protect themselves for the uh, <laughs> likely the um, the stuff that's coming down the pike, right? Um, but it it is. It is, um, you know, there's certain like, you know, the thing with the community projects, right, is at a bare minimum, if you're going to spend 
uh, or at least from a tax perspective. I would rather lower level governments distribute or, or spend more of that tax revenue as opposed to the federal government, which is so out of touch with with what's going on, right? There's no way that they can allocate that that money properly. Um, so that that's that's kind of my feelings on that. And I mean, being in Canada right now, uh, you know, I'm pretty close with John John Vallis of Bitcoin Rapid Fire. We're, we're always chatting and catching up with each other and sharing ideas. And he's calling it Canazuela because of the, <laughs> because of the money printing that's going on. And he's really, really concerned about it. Uh, what are what what is going on there at the moment? And you know, how are you kind of viewing the the landscape in Canada? I mean, 2020, we're we're definitely in uncharted territory, right? So uh, the Bank of Canada's balance sheet has gone up uh, 400% and growing just this past year. Um, Mm -hmm. So if if you look at it on, you know, like a chart, it's kind of going up and to the right. And then there's literally just this vertical line that shoots straight up, right? It's a Um, nice hockey stick for your, uh, your country. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like it, it's it's quite a hockey stick. Um, <laughs> but what's what's really interesting though is that you know everyone keeps saying, well, you know the uh, the, the government has or you know the Fed has printed all this money in two thousand eight and two thousand nine, and look, there's no inflation. Um, but if you look at real estate prices, um, especially in in Canada, like in, in my city in, in Ottawa. Um, you would not believe the real estate prices right now, right? And so, sure, you can look at CPI, which we all know has has quite a bit of flaws, um, and say, yeah, this isn't leading to inflation, and therefore we can keep doing this. But once you start looking at asset prices, it tells a whole different story. So my thing is like, okay, so if I'm 18, 19 years old, right, and I need to come up with a down payment on a house that just a townhouse, right? Um, you can get, let's call it eight years ago, you can get a townhouse for 300,000 Canadian dollars uh, in my city. That was kind of normal. Um, and then even if you go back two years ago, that $300,000 townhouse would maybe be four, 420,000. That same townhouse this year was selling for over $500,000, right? So if you own the house, right? Um, or you, or, or you, you've benefited from that appreciation. Um, you, you're benefiting from that because your mortgage rate keeps keeps going down, or, or at least stays the same, right? Because um, my mortgage rate right now is 1.35 percent, which is insane. It's practically free money. The problem is when you're 20 years old and your wages haven't gone up, and that house that used to cost three hundred thousand dollars is now five hundred thousand dollars. And you need a debt, and you need to save a down payment. The down payment keeps getting more expensive every single year, and it's almost like you can't you can't catch up to that point. So you're stuck as a renter forever. And so the people that own the assets, you know, they're laughing. Well, not not you know figuratively, they're they're laughing. Um, but the people that don't yet own a home, like it's it's literally getting to the point now where unless you're making a lot of money, you you will never be able to afford a home and. Um, you know, I, I don't I don't know how people don't see that issue, right? So you can point to the CPI all you want, which 
Uh, even even the CPI, I've noticed the groceries have gone up quite a bit. But until you you solve this problem where all of this printing is going straight into the stock market and real estate and the bond market, um, that that is it's going to reach a, a breaking point at some point. And I don't th- I think we're not that far off. Yeah, it's crazy as well, right? You you talk about five years ago, and say that that house at that time would have been $300,000. We're so numb to how much money that was back then. Like that's yep. over a quarter of a million dollars. But we yep. talk about it now, it's like, oh, that was normal. That's like, that was that was just the going rate of a house. It's yep. madness. And yep. I see I the mean, same thing happening in the UK. You know, you, you can buy a bungalow, like a single story house, and they're like quarter of a million pounds. Like a two or three bedroom maximum tiny little garden. You're like, oh my God. And the first thing you got to do is renovate the damn thing because it's just, it's just disgusting old rubbish built in the 60s, 70s fiat house. You know, it's, it's madness. Yeah. And this is Ottawa. If you, if you talk about Toronto or Vancouver, Mm. like there, there is, um, I forget the name of the website, but there is a website where it would take um, uh, <laughs> houses in Vancouver and you had to guess whether it was like a crack house or a million dollar home in Vancouver. And it was impossible <laughs> to tell the difference, right? Because there were people are literally buying million dollar houses in Vancouver and tearing them down and, and putting up a new thing. And a lot of the money from China is coming to Vancouver, buying up the property purely as a, as a store of wealth. So, in in my opinion, um, how, like there's an issue when people are using real estate primarily as a store of value, as opposed to you know a place to to sleep and and uh, and provide shelter. Um, and you know that is uh, some people want to deny this, but I think that is a, a one of the huge re- uh, consequences of of money printing or QE, call it whatever the hell you want. Um, you know, at the end of the day, when when interest rates are as low as they are at practically zero percent, and you can essentially lever up, and your and housing prices and people are t- uh, trained that housing prices only go up, it just creates really bad behavior. And this is the problem as well, right? People have been trained that brick and mortar yep. just goes up, yeah. especially the boomer generation and the, uh, the, the the higher end of the, actually probably the whole of the exit generation because that's all they've ever known. Uh, you know, they've yep. been brainwashed certainly by the boomers. It's like, get on the property ladder, that thing's going to the moon. You, yeah. you, there's nothing, there's no better asset than, than brick and mortar, yeah. which, you know, like, again, we could argue you never actually own it anyway. Uh, you know, try try not paying property taxes for a year or two and see who really owns the house and the, in the <laughs> you know when it comes down to it yeah. uh, but that point about Chinese money uh, flooding into Vancouver and you know I, I lived in Singapore between 99 and 2014 and I saw the exact same thing happen in Singapore the the money the amount of money that was being siphoned into that country by the other wealthy Southeast Asian um well, not nations, the very, very few very wealthy billionaires, whether they were in China or Indonesia or the Philippines or uh, Malaysia, Thailand, all of that money 
would come straight to Singapore property. It was absolutely crazy. They would launch mm -hmm. a new condo. On the weekend, they would launch a new condo. They'd have a show flat. They would have foundation. Basically, there was a show flat in the middle of a just raised down huge piece of land where anything that had been stood there had just been completely knocked down. Show flat goes up for a two bed, a three bed, and a four bed. They would put some balloons up at the gate. You drive past, people would be queuing down the street like it was a new launch of an Apple iPhone or something around the corner. They would sell out of a condo, a thousand unit condo that morning. And it was just crazy. And we had Chinese investors that weren't buying one or two properties. Sometimes they would buy a tower. You know, these condos would go up four or five towers and they would buy a strip of the two bedrooms all on top of each other. And of course, this was great for the government, right? Because they're making their stamp duty every single mm -hmm. time one of these is getting bought. And a lot of people were flipping them, were trying to get ahead of this Chinese money or Indonesian money, wherever it's coming from, and then just flip them in six months' time. And <laughs> like when you look back at it now, like, wow, you want to talk about bubbles, that thing is yet to burst. It's still yeah. going. But now yeah. we have Bitcoin. And as soon as these hugely wealthy investors, wherever they are, realize, hang on a minute, if I buy property, I have to pay all of these taxes and all of these charges, and then I've got to rent that out and have all that headache, and, or I can just buy Bitcoin on an exchange somewhere. Where's the money going to go? Yeah, the, the real estate thing to me is super fascinating because um, clearly there's a huge monetary premium embedded in the real estate market. I, I think it's something that we can't even imagine, right? Uh, like if, if you imagine the world on a Bitcoin standard, I can't even compute what uh, you know a five hundred thousand dollar house would be would would cost, right? I mean, I I don't I I can't even speculate what that would be, but I'm sure it's it's something crazy. Like we're talking, you know, fifty percent lower, right? Um, and so it's funny you say that because, you know, with let, let's take San Francisco, right? Um, you know, you're hearing all these reports of people um, fleeing San Francisco into these these other uh, geographies. So imagine if um, you had bought in, you know, a couple million dollar place in, in San Francisco uh, right at the start of the pandemic. And then all of a sudden, everyone's fleeing out of there. And that place is worth, uh, you know, a couple or a million less or 25 percent less, you know. And that's one of, the, one of the big issues with real estate is this is very localized. Right. So you're, you're kind of depending on that uh, local economy to continue to flourish to keep those those prices, whereas, you know, Bitcoin's global. Right. So in addition to all those advantages that, that you that you mentioned that you don't need to worry about renting and property taxes and, and all this kind of stuff, you significantly reduce your risk because you're not tied to a single uh, local, uh, you know, a local economy or a local government. Uh, Bitcoin's global. And for me, you know, especially as someone that, you know, travels and and wants to uh, maintain a certain level of, of freedom and mobility, like the the world has like anyone outside of Bitcoin, I think, has not like does not appreciate the benefits of having a store of wealth that 
is not tied to any jurisdiction uh, that essentially requires zero maintenance. There's zero cost. It's just truly phenomenal, right? And, you know, I fully expect that over the next, you know, five, 10, however many years, um, all of these all of these assets that have store value premiums in them, that's all going to flow right into Bitcoin. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I think there's going to be, well, it's going through. I, I had um, Concilium Turgum on uh, at 2140 BTC, and he's uh, in the housing business in in the US. Um, and the reason he came on is because he wanted to talk about uh, SMEs moving to a Bitcoin standard, much as you guys have uh, before. Um, they, they did this before, I think, uh, yeah, last year. Uh, and he was saying that it's just a craze right now, that the the market's just going absolutely through the roof, real estate market. Mm-hmm. And I can't see how much longer it's going to last. And sure, we're having this flight from the city People don't want to be in the city anymore. They've come to realize, one, whether that's for personal reasons, they don't want to be around as many people, or two, oh shit, I can work and my kids can learn from anywhere remotely. Why the hell would I have to live in this overpriced small house or apartment Mm -hmm. when I can go wherever the hell I like, whether that's still in the same country or in the same same state or in a different country? And you know, flag theory is going to become such a huge thing in the next three to five years in the Bitcoin community. We'll be completely all over the place, and I just don't know how the the, the real estate market globally can. It just it's unjustifiable. Yeah. So it's um, so my business partner Mark he he bought a, a new house. Um, uh, a year and a half or two years ago or whatever. And even then, he had to sleep in his car for two days uh, bec- to, to get in line, right? Because any sort of new, um, uh, you know, new build that was going up, it was like your story of, of Singapore, right? People would line up a couple days before and that was the only way to get a new build. And what what's happening now is all the people in Toronto that have, you know, that are sitting on... Uh, you know, a million or $2 million homes, all of a sudden they can work everywhere or they can work anywhere. So um, all these people in Toronto, a good chunk of them are selling their house for $2 million, coming to Ottawa, buying a house for, let's call it $750 to a million. And now all of a sudden on, you know, they, they've got a, a million dollars of cash in the bank and, and it's the house is the same, if not, if not better. Uh, and they can and they work from home. Uh, and so Mark, like... Uh, you know, he he met his he just moved into the place and he met a, a bunch of his neighbors. And like half the people are have moved from the Toronto area uh, to Ottawa. So this is already starting to play out, right? Where you know you've got these people with <laughs> like crazy property values and realizing, well, I can work in, from anywhere now. Why don't I just move to this city where the the real estate is is half uh, as expensive? Um, and then the other thing that's really interesting is like. Um, so when you look at the deficits, uh, I'm, I'm thinking of the Canadian government in particular, uh, the deficits are just like crazy, right? And so there's they either have to keep printing, um, which is probably going to lead to more inequality, or they're going to have to raise taxes, right? So the taxes are already pretty freaking high in Canada. <laughs> mm. um, if 
if there's like a, a a scenario where they let's say you know we're we're um, increasing the taxes to ninety percent, like as I, I love my friends and family, but I I ain't sticking around for ninety percent taxes, right? Um, and so I think the governments are going to be in a really interesting situation where there's a finite limit to um, how much tax burden people are, are willing to put up with before they say, you know what, like I can work from anywhere. I don't have to be here. Uh, it, it, you know, paint like, um, like I don't, I don't really want to move it. It's a pain in the ass to move, but if, if they're going to try to take 90% of my wealth, then I'm going to move. Right. Like I, I just, that's just not something that I'll, I'll stand for. Um, and so I really wonder like how that is going to play out over, over the next, uh, couple of years when, you know, they, they can't tax too much, but they really do need to probably increase taxes at some point because they can't just keep, uh, printing for other, uh, otherwise there's literally a currency collapse. Um, so it's, it's going to be fascinating to see how this all plays out. I saw a clip the other day of one of, um, I know it was a Canadian politician. It was a a lady politician talking about. Do you know the clip I'm talking oh, about? Uh, was it Christia Freeland talking about the preloaded stimulus? Something. It was along the lines of basically it, she was saying, you know, if you know anyone that's got any money, tell them to go out and spend yeah, it. Otherwise, we're going to. Yeah. Otherwise, we're going to come and take it. Was the underlying message? It was just unbelievable. I, and I couldn't believe the part where she said, "If you have any ideas, let me know." Like you're the finance minister of Canada and you're asking the public for ideas of how to get people to spend their money. And, and the way that it was phrased was almost like, um, you know, people that actually save their money for a rainy day. It was almost like, well, you need to spend that now. Right. Yeah, it's their fault. And just, yeah. And it's just, I just can't, you know, I, I just can't believe this, um, this concept that like, Savings are a bad thing. Everyone needs to spend their money. That's the only way to create economic growth. Uh, it's it's just crazy. Like I, I don't get it. Well, we have the head of the uh, ECB here, the European Central Bank, Christine Lagarde, who says she's on record as saying you should be thankful you have jobs. Jobs are, you, yeah, you should be thankful you, you you have jobs. That's much more important than having savings. You know what? Like yeah. what are these? It's just when when are the masses going to wake up? That that's what we're all hoping for, right? This is what we're here for. This is what we do the podcast for. This is why you write your blog. Um, that was a brilliant blog post, by the way. I'll put that in the show notes about why you took your business onto a onto a Bitcoin standard, and you referenced a lot of well, you referenced the steps. It was almost watching you fall down the rabbit hole, and you you know. Go ahead. Yeah, I was gonna say, yeah, that that was that was um, you know, my um part of the reason I wrote that post was to have something that I can send friends and family. Um and that was kind of the way that I wanted to design it, where it was like, this is kind of here you need a brief history of money because to me, like the Bitcoin standard and learning about the history of money is really key, right? Like um, a lot of people assume that gold is valuable because it's this shiny thing that is made in jewelry, like the whole Peter Schiff idea, right? But you realize like gold is valuable because of the monetary properties, and that's why it was then used in jewelry because it was valuable. 
And so that's like a, and, and the whole scarcity piece is obviously like one of the most important things. So I felt that that was kind of like step one is understanding that a, a bit of that history and, and linking to, um, you know, Bitcoin standard and, and, and that whole concept. And then the next thing from that is, okay, well, if that's why gold has value, um, here's why Bitcoin is better than gold. And therefore, we can conclude that Bitcoin is likely to become that new uh, premium store of value, right? Um, and that was kind of step two. And then the last thing is like, you know, that's all great, um, but but why now? Why 2020? And that's when I kind of started bringing in some of the, the, the stuff around where the interest rates are at, what's happening with the balance sheet. Um, because like, here's the thing, like, People keep saying, you know, oh, Bitcoin's a bubble and oh, it's for people who are irrationally worried about central banks and money printing and this and that. But I don't know how anyone can look, you know, you can maybe make that argument like, look, we've never had hyperinflation, like nothing's happened. You guys are all paranoid. You're you're all, you know, doomsday, whatever. But I don't know how anyone can look at a graph of, of interest rates from 1980 till now, which is literally 45 degree downward sloping. We're now at zero. And then at the same time, you look at all the central bank balance sheets and they're literally hockey sticking, right? So I don't know how anyone doesn't look at that and and doesn't get concerned and think at a bare minimum, I need to own Bitcoin as a hedge at a, at a very, very bare minimum, right? Obviously, I think it's well beyond a hedge at this point. You know, I, I obviously, I believe that Bitcoin will be the, the next um, global uh, you know, unit of account, um, global money, whatever you want to call it. Um, so that that was kind of you know my my thought process of that piece, and that's essentially the thought process that I went to is you know understanding the history of money, understanding why Bitcoin um, is the best form of money that that we've ever had and and likely will ever be in the future, and why in 2020 with all of this stuff going on in the economy why owning 1% or even 5% is probably not good enough anymore. Like you need, you need more than that. <laughs> this is, this is interesting. I've been thinking about this um, a bit lately when, when I talk to new people that have never heard about Bitcoin before and they look at you like you've got two heads or you're some, you know, some <laughs> scummy sales guy, right? That, that, that's, that's what people those think. Damn like, sales oh, people. <laughs> those damn sales people. God damn it. You, you're trying to, you're trying to get me into, buying Bitcoin and what's in it for you. And like, you know, no, I'm not like, I don't have a, I don't have a pitch deck. I don't have a briefcase. You know, there's no Bitcoin embossed. There's like, no, no, there's no papers to sign or anything. I just want you guys to understand about it. And uh, of course, a lot of the pushback is, oh, well, it's not, it's not like gold. It's not like, you know, that that is the, that's where the real wealth is. (laughs) 90% of these people that push back with that, they don't own any gold. And they wouldn't actually know how to own any gold. It's like, okay, yeah, fair enough. Go buy some gold then. Well, no, I can't afford it. Would be the the the, the default because they they think they think gold bars, right? Is is yep. what they think generally. Unless you've worked in financial markets and understand that you can uh, buy futures, derivatives, forwards, and all of this kind of stuff, people just naturally think, well, no, I, there's no way in the world I can afford a gold bar. And even if I did, where would I put it? Whereas now with Bitcoin, you can just whip out a phone, show them an app, and like, like I just bought twenty five euros, twenty five bucks of Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. That's done. Yeah, 
And that's that's really powerful. And that's what I think is going to unlock so many new people as we go into uh, into next year. And 2020 has just been such an incredible year for the new class of Bitcoiners to get up to speed. And I've spoken about this with a few friends who had had asked me a few questions at the start of this year, and I've managed to Convince isn't the right word, right? I don't want to convince anybody, but I, I guess I've managed to educate and convey my point of view and stand by the reasons that I've decided to invest into Bitcoin. Start a damn podcast and, you know, don't stop talking about it. Uh, so there's definitely some, you know, weight lended, uh, a little bit of weight behind that. But how quick guys get up to speed now is, is really unbelievable. Yeah, 100%. I mean, like, um, and Michael Saylor kind of said this as well, where I almost feel like I cheated because I first heard about Bitcoin in, in 2017, but I didn't really have to go through the fork wars um, and kind of experience that whole debacle. And then, you know, the, the bullish case for Bitcoin came out. I think VJ wrote that in 2018. Um whether you believe it or not, the stock to flow model came out at I think it was 2019. And whether or not the stock to flow model, you, you, you're a believer or non-believer. I think one thing that I found was really key about the stock to flow model is that it helps understand why there's these bull and bear markets, at least historically, right? Whether or not we repeat the same cycles or whatever, it at least helps explain, you know, why does it? Why do we have these huge euphoria and 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 why, um, you know, why we have these crashes? And I think one thing it does is it 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 at least makes people feel more comfortable that these bear markets are normal, right? And here's like here's something that we can use to explain it. Just keep DCAing, do a weekly DCA, do a daily you know daily DCA, and just don't even think about it, right? Um, so so that was really powerful as well. The the, the stock to flow model. Um, you know, the Bitcoin standard, again, was a huge. So like you said, like if 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 you would have heard about Bitcoin, you know, pre-2017, um, you didn't have this like, you know, whereas now when someone's starting to get into Bitcoin, I've got, you know, I've here, read this, listen to this, po- this specific podcast episode, read this blog post, read this book, you're good to go, right? And if you have questions, let me know. Um, whereas before it was, you know, how do you explain this thing? And is it a is it a payment network? It is a store of value. Like, why is it valuable? Um, yeah, and and like, I mean, the the podcast. Like, I can't keep up with <laughs> the the podcast anymore just because there's so much good quality content um, around Bitcoin. So yeah, I think it's I think the um, the speed to onboard newbies is just going to keep getting faster and faster. Yeah, brilliant. And thanks, mate, for for coming on and sharing all of this and um, laying out on on the blog post how and why you took your business onto a Bitcoin standard. Because I think there's going to be so many more family-run businesses, small to medium-sized enterprises that are going to are going to have to look at this because the big ones, the big companies, as we know, the publicly listed ones, the the hedge funds, um, the institutions, they're all coming in. And how it might change the, the whole landscape. I mean, Tahini's have been on as well, and how it changed their business mm. and their thinking, and even how they treat their staff and how they're you know looking 
at sourcing the the absolute best ingredients they can find rather than when you're running this fiat nightmare you're looking to cut corners as a businessman yeah i i mean i think the whole you know bitcoin for small businesses and the little guy or the little girl is so key because let's look at airbnb right uh airbnb just went public this week or (laughs) last week this week right um and for anyone that didn't wasn't paying attention, uh, the, the stock popped 100% at the open. Um, and it's now, what, I think close to like a $100 billion company or whatever. And so what's happening now is because there's so much venture capital available, you know, I think Amazon went public at like a billion dollars or something like that, right? Uh, way back in the day. And so, uh, you know, if you, if you bought Amazon at the IPO, you're basically laughing right now. At the, whereas these these you know unicorns are, are going public now at like 50 60 70 100 billion dollars right so the all of that upside is just is pretty much yanked out by the time it reaches the public market and so if if you're not in on those early deals and you're not an accredited investor um, there's much limited there's a much lower uh, upside available to you uh, by the time that it reaches the public market Bitcoin is the complete opposite, right? Because the market cap is so low, these these large funds and, and these large pools of capital literally cannot deploy enough capital. Otherwise, they're going to push up the price too much and there's too much slippage. Um, whereas, you know, for a small business, you can put, you know, your, your reserves in, into Bitcoin and you can front run all of that money that is undoubtedly about to come. And so it's, um, you know, it's, it's, it's one of the first opportunities for, you know, the the, the small businesses and and you know the the, the common folk to to front run <laughs> the the larger institutions, and we, we got to take advantage of that. Absolutely, we do, hundred percent. Right, mate. If you had one orange pill left to give someone, who would you give it? Who would you give that pill to, and why? So. Um, I think at this point, a lot of people have heard of Bitcoin already. Um, so I'm not sure how much we need to like market to the noobs, essentially. And so I think at this point in 2020, if I were to give an orange pill, it would probably be Tim Cook from Apple, uh, because we saw like MicroStrategy, what an impact that that Michael Saylor had on on putting corporate reserves into Bitcoin. And I, I can't even imagine what the headlines um, and all the media attention of what happened if Apple put even, you know, like they have, a, I think it's $190 billion of cash and equivalents on their balance sheet. So even 1% of that, you're talking close to $2 billion <laughs> into Bitcoin, which is double um, what, what Michael Saylor has put into MicroStrategy. Um, and I think that would that would be one more step to further legitimize Bitcoin as a as a legitimate um, asset class, store of value, uh, something that you know you basically need. <laughs> and I think that would kick off a huge domino to the rest of all the the tech companies with tons of cash on their balance sheet to do the same. So um, yeah, I, I think that would that's what I would do as of as of today. A number would certainly go up if if that were to happen. Which, by yeah, the way, then, I, I've 
I forgot to I forgot to mention at the start of the show uh, when we were setting this up back on nineteenth uh, of November we were texting each other and, and setting <laughs> this up and I said okay great we'd locked in the date we'd locked in the time and I said great I wonder what the price will be uh, come come today uh, and here we are almost a month later and you you said my crystal ball <laughs> is telling me twenty five thousand <laughs> so you got me all hopiumed up. And uh, and here we are. I was hoping, you know, a guy that designs dashboards, he's going to know what he's talking about. But uh, yeah, we're, we're still 6K shy of that, which is a shame. Yeah, well, just have to wait till next year, I guess. Or, <laughs> or actually, there's still 15 days left in the year, so we'll see. Exactly. Well, mate, um, is there anything else? Ah, I do want to come back to to the memes. Are you sure, going to yeah. get the... Are you going to get the Bitcoin meme crowd on Snapper? What? What's? Uh, how do you win these guys? Because I'm sure they'd love to um, to use uh, a platform run by a Bitcoiner, by Bitcoiners who have got their reserves in Bitcoin to use as their memes, <laughs> to use your platform for for their memes. Uh, I'm sure there's something right, if, uh, you guys. Go ahead. If uh, all right, for if there's any Bitcoiners out there, just DM me on Twitter. And uh, I'll 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 work out something special for you. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> you're gonna get, and, and you can meme, the, the, meme to your your heart desires. <laughs> you're gonna get all the maxi memers DMing you. It's like, right, you're on. Let's go. We're looking for this, 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 and this. <laughs> you have a whole list. Uh, man, good luck. <laughs> all right. Chris, yeah, it's thanks been, so much. Uh, yeah, it was, it was um, yeah, it was really fun to uh, to, to be on, and um, yeah, I think it's uh, it's just fascinating times we're living. I think twenty twenty one is going to be uh, uh, quite a year, so I'm yeah, looking forward to <laughs> to, to see it all un- uh, unfold. And where, where and, and can thanks for come? oh yeah, I was just going to say, and thanks for being one of the you know the the. The really awesome podcasters in the space, um, providing you know solid uh, Bitcoin Bitcoin content, and I've I forwarded uh, quite a few of your episodes to friends and families. So um, yeah, just appreciate what, what what you're doing. Thanks, man. That's uh, that means a lot. I hope um, I hope that's added some value to uh, to your friends and family. Really appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Uh, where can people come and find you, Chris? I'm sure they're going to want to. Uh, best place is probably Twitter. Uh, my handle is at cgimmer. Um, and uh, well, I guess you'll put in the show notes, but if uh, if they want to, actually, it's in my pinned tweet. So if you want to read uh, the post that I wrote about, um, you know, why we uh, put our, our cash reserves into uh, Bitcoin, just look at my pinned tweet and, and you'll see it. Excellent. Thanks, man. Great to have you on and look forward to catching up next time. Yeah, sounds good. Thanks for having me. Hey guys, hope you enjoyed that episode with Chris Gimmer. Chris, if you're listening back to this, thanks again, man. Thank you so much for coming on. And price target wise, yeah, you nailed it. Come time of release. Sorry, this one dragged its feet a little bit. Uh, I had a couple of other releases to uh, to get out there in uh, December and close out the year with. Really happy that we can put this one out at the beginning of this year. And we've smashed that target that we were talking about when we first put this recording together 
So, uh, and I've been watching it all unfold on Bitbo. And uh, there's another nice little pitch for you there. But guys, memers, you know who to get hold of now. We've got to get in Chris's ear and see what Snap can do for the memeing crowd. Uh, I'm, I'm <laughs> I got a big smile on my face right now because I know something cool can happen here when when the Bitcoin community comes together and when you have people like Chris and his his co-founder with a platform already built where people can come and use it or add value to it, give ideas, help build out something. This could be something pretty special. So if you're listening to this and you have these skills and you are one of these memers and you've got some ideas, please reach out to Chris. Let's take this thing to the next level. This is going to be so awesome, especially over the next year or two of this bull run, which is going to go crazy. Keep an eye on Bitbo. Keep an eye on those spikes upwards. We're going to see some nice big spikes. At time of recording, we've already had a 3 or 4K in a day. You know I've said this before. We'll see 10K in a day or 10K plus in a day pretty soon. So make sure you keep an eye out on that. And Bitbo is definitely the best place for it right now. Uh, I love Chris's story. Uh, you know, right at the beginning of the chat there, we started talking. I asked him a question, had he read The 4-Hour Workweek? That was a book that turned, turned my head upside down. I've met so many people, especially in the homeschooling, world schooling community, that have read that book and changed their lives. But I love speaking to the people like Chris, who are 10 to 15 years younger than I am. And I, you know, I'm very envious, I suppose, uh, that that people of this young age can have the foresight to see the, the, the general rule of thumb of sitting in a job for 50 years and then retiring when you're 65 or 75, when basically the life has passed you by, to, to eke out that last 10 years, avoiding sickness rather than embracing your spare time and your life. Let's turn that upside down. And Bitcoin is going to do this for us. It's turning everything upside down. And it's just such an amazing privilege to be part of this message. So if you're listening and you're unsure about Bitcoin, go back, listen to some of the previous episodes, listen to some other podcasters, Find yourself a book or an article. There's so much out there. Start educating yourself. Start stacking your sats very slowly. And uh, yeah, join us along for the ride. Chris, thanks again for coming on. Really look forward to the feedback on this one. Take care, everybody. If you want to listen to the final shills, here they come. It's coinfloor.co.uk if you are based in the UK. Start stacking your sats there. Use forward slash bitten. If you're in the US, go check out swanbitcoin.com forward slash Bitten. They have you covered both these companies. They're both brilliant. Bitcoin only, very important. They're going to keep you very honest on the Bitcoin journey and help you along the way. A few unofficial shields play Shamari. You know that's the best and only Bitcoin educational fun family game out there. Go grab yourself a deck. You can use the code, oh, I think it's Bitten10. Was it once Bitten10? Oh, you'll have to check out the sponsors page on uh, once-bitten.com if you want that 10% discount. 
or look out for show notes because I, uh, I do get some codes from Scott, the founder, and he gives me uh, the ability to share that code with you guys and you get a free deck. So keep an eye out on that. Uh, thanks again, everyone. Go check out the 21ism guys. They're doing great work. I look forward to the next show. I look forward to 2021. This is all going to be completely crazy. Hang on tight. Enjoy the ride. Enjoy the ride.